0: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: Yo, yo, what's happening, people? Hope you're doing good and hope the week is going good so far. So on today's show, the one and only Rebuke is sitting down with me and having a conversation. Great podcast podcast obviously he's killing it right now and i've known him for a pretty long time um you'll hear more about that in the podcast so without further ado the one and only rebuke rebuke how's it going mate
2: how you doing man good like the studio in the background
1: there yeah man it's uh it's all catching dust to be fair let's be honest
2: uh
3: (laughs) 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 <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look at <all> like <laughs>
1: how's uh how's life man i haven't spoke to you for ages obviously uh, apart is. from the odd whatsapp chat but what's what's going on
2: it's quite all right man it's very quiet compared to this time last year it's funny because um you know on facebook you've got like your memories yeah like it shows up pictures from the year before and like every day i'm getting like different pictures from this country and that country and doing this gig and that gig and then this year it's just like every day sitting at the or sitting at home
1: then <laughs> you know ne- it's uh next year's memories are going to be dull as fuck aren't they they're just going to be I like know, us like twi- hopefully, hopefully we'll be make- making them
2: next year yeah
1: hopefully man hopefully um last i think last time i saw you actually was in miami a yeah, long time that ago that was that was uh, that wasn't that was like last
2: year wasn't it march last year yeah yeah, because um,
1: did you? That was the day. It's space, wasn't it? Was it space then?
2: Yeah, yeah, it was space because um, I think I actually almost lived in space that week. I just kept on. <laughs> for some reason. I kept going back there every every night, man. It was just nuts, and because I I got booked to play there twice. One of them was for Paradise, and the second one was for Dirty Bird, and and uh, the so I went in there the first time, and I didn't. You know, you know, space and it was like twelve hour or twenty four hour parties. Yeah. So I got booked to play from like 12 at night till two in the morning for Paradise and then went home or went back to the hotel like four or five and then caught up again the next morning and went back into there again for like another five or six hours and then the night after that I came back to the Dirty Bird gig and it was just the whole week's pretty blurry man to be honest but it was good though it was really cool it was mad I've never seen that sort of like side of like dance music before where like the parties just go on on all night and all day yeah and and the crowd refreshes as like the night goes on which is pretty cool
1: it's a wild venue the guys that run (laughs) that guys and girls that run that it's um it's it's like literally probably one of the it's one of my favorite places to play in america without a shadow without i don't know i I don't know how they do it because they just party all the time but that (laughs) week especially is mental for them but um Yeah, Miami got cancelled this not. year.
3: It's just, it's right? just got to make up for it next yeah. year, I guess.
2: Yeah, it's it's weird because we um, I think it just got cancelled like literally like a week before, didn't it? Because yeah. Because it was just sort of well, middle of March, right? So yeah. it was just whenever coronavirus like was going worldwide, and it just got you know unlucky, I guess. But you know, it's for the safety. So.
1: Ah well, life goes on. I guess yeah, we're lucky that we've uh, we're still going. Mm-hmm. How's uh How's making
3: music? Pretty
2: good, man. I mean, it's um, you know, I've been making lots of stuff, and uh, like I've been speaking to some producers and artists, and they've stopped making dance music and just started to make like really like ambient and stuff. But I feel like for me anyway, like even before things took off for me, I was always making club tracks anyway, and that was before I book, got booked for gigs. Yeah, so
3: yeah. So it's yeah. sort
2: of it feels like this. Like, around now, it's almost like what it was like before things took off on me. I'm back making (laughs) tunes and hoping that, you know, hopefully it connects. So, you know, I'm still doing the same thing. I'm still cranking out records. But, I mean, you know, it's just one of them ones where you get so, like, especially when, you know, we we start touring and we we play the crowds a lot. And you sort of fall into sort of, like, you expect to test out the records that you work on for a while. Yeah that's such a luxury that i like now realize was a luxury because back then you're like oh it's just going to play this track out but now it's not you can't do that as easily or at all so um it's a bit hard now trying to like adjust to going back to the old days whenever i wasn't getting booked for doing any gigs and i'm trying to like think all right is this going to connect with somebody you know in a year's time you know in a club in brazil or something and it's just a little bit different but it's a challenge man and you kind of you just take it as a commons doesn't it
1: what about you yeah i think that's the thing like i for me i've been writing a lot At beginning of lockdown i wrote a load of like club stuff and then july i didn't write anything just was a shit month which i'd never i've never had in the last like since i started writing music i've never taken like a whole month off um yeah. and it wasn't purposely every t- you know like let me just tell my headphones down one sec all no right um, every t- every time Every time I um would just sit in front of the studio I just looked like couldn't do anything. It was just like shit. But uh I, I'm I'm enjoying it. I think for me, not not playing in the clubs has kind of given me a little bit more of a breather on what type of records I'm making. Um yep. like I'm not really worrying about trying to make bangers that's just gonna work in my sets i'm like more so like writing more songs that can kind of like people can listen to whilst they're in the shower or like whilst they're doing the cleaning and shit like that it's like not just worrying about dance floor stuff um also like dance floor releases like club releases just are doing awful at the moment. Spotify is, just doesn't do anything. No one gives a fuck about it, which is wrong because yeah. people do give a fuck about it. But at the end of the day, when there's no clubs happening, people aren't... Sh- the only people that are Shazam and stuff is stuff that gets played on Radio 1 Um, mm-hmm. on, like, the specialist shows. So it's kind of like why... Not why bother, but... Also, or or almost just like let's just try something else to see, see yeah. what else and see how you can kind of like put two different things together and see what you come totally. up with
3: um, and i think
2: i think um i think as well you know if you do put out a club record now and it doesn't connect i mean you know i've found that in the past few months as well i put out some club stuff and it just didn't do anywhere near as much as what i had the past year or two and I was kinda of prepared for that because I knew we're in a whole different setup. Yeah. But what well, what I hope anyway it might happen is that the tracks get a resurgence whenever we do end up doing yeah, games yeah. again. Because I know I'm gonna start playing tracks that I love from other DJs that I yeah. wasn't able to play out just out of the sheer notion of wanting to hear what it sounds like live and then you know yourself all text is a couple of videos, you know, viral videos and the track gets like a whole second spark. Totally. I think Hopefully that happens, but I definitely agree about, you know, putting out stuff that's a little bit different and it gives you a bit more time to experiment because I think whenever we're on the road all the time, we're like being, you know, I wouldn't say forced to make club bangers at all. Um, We could do whatever we want, but whenever we've sort of like got this momentum of making club records all the time, it's very hard to sort of be like, all right, I'm actually putting out an ambient album, now. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think what it is as well, is it's almost for me, it's almost like that ego side of things where you kind of want all the other DJs to be playing your records. So you can't, yeah. you physically can't write like a chill record, not necessarily just ambient, but like a more vocal based record that's like probably not directed for the DJs. It's yeah. kind of hard to like, cause we want everyone to play our records and, yeah. and I guess that's the way we promote our records is we, we, not expect but we hope that other DJs are gonna play our record. Let's let's talk about like along came Polly for s for yep. for examples like Jamie was playing that for months and months and months and that kind of created a hype on that record where everybody wanted it um yep. due to the videos and things like that. And I remember I think you sent that to me just before you kind of or just as you started the Rebuke project. Mm. Or it was like i can't it was maybe like six months into it i can't fully remember and and then jamie was jamie signed it and didn't release it for ages but the hype of that record made it into the record that it became and kind of helped kind of get to you where your career is if that makes sense Um, yeah totally
2: totally man And and i think it's sort of it was all you know, just to put the record straight, it was all unplanned. There was no like mad PR method. There was no like exactly. managers screaming in yeah. the saying, "Oh, hey, you know, we need to hold it back another five months" so that people there was none of that. It was just no. it just happened so fast. And you know, whenever um, the track by the time Jimmy even played it, which was like August two thousand eighteen, I had written the track. You're correct. I, I wrote the track maybe at the start of that year. And, yeah. um You know, I, pl- I played it out a bunch of times, and I was I had my own like um, residency back home here in Letterkenny called Outhouse and I was playing it there and. We get a pretty good reaction. I think it was sort of a bit divided because the track is a bit weird, you know. And it took kind of, you know, I guess, you know, it, it took me playing out quite a bit for people to get it. But yeah. um, but the track sat for like six or seven months and didn't do anything. I sent it to a couple of people, but it wasn't. I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was like, you know, going to be a track that was going to change my life, you know. And you know, it's kind of the typical story with everybody, you know. And um, and then my uh, my old agent actually was um you know, I had a contact with Jimmy and, um, you know, he was like, Hey, why don't you put a bunch of tracks together and send, um, you know, send them to, uh, or I'll get them to. And uh, so I put 10 tracks together and basically along came Paul. It was way, way at the bottom of the list. It was like maybe ninth nice track or tenth track. <laughs> That's how much hope I had for it. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, I, I got a text like a week later from one of my mates saying, um, Hey, is this your track? you know jimmy's playing on some like track id blog somebody was trying to get the name of the track and yeah. i was like oh, fuck. you know it's that's jimmy playing my track and then so i was, su- I was super excited and i texted him afterwards or I emailed him and i was like i oh, hey, glad you played the track at this festival yeah. would you be interested in the same and at the time he was like yeah let's put it on hot tracks which is the sub level of hot creations and um you know another couple of weeks went by he kept playing it the momentum just kept building and building and building and then eventually it got like a fully fledged hot creations ep yeah um and for anybody that's not in the industry i mean you and i know well but these bigger labels they have a backlog of releases so whenever you sign something to them then you have to wait five months for it to come out because they're already three or four releases ahead of themselves totally yeah whenever he signed that in september it was the release date was like this end of this. Actually, the release date was going to be for February the year afterwards, but we managed to get it changed to December because of just how mad the track was going. Yeah. Or how, how you know the hype on it. But over the course of like those three months, between September and December, I just remember like every day I'm waking up to like a hound of messages. When are you putting out this record? Why not putting it out? You know oh, what? What the? You know all this like hit mail almost. <laughs> I was like, man, this is how it works, you know. And, but in the end, I loved it because just looking back now, it was like, as you said, it was one of the reasons why people loved it so much when it came out. And it also very, like, for me, any reminiscence of back in the old days, whenever you would give a record to an Ibiza DJ in yeah. June, you would play it all summer, and then he'd put it out in the wintertime and it would just explode in UK. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened because he was playing it all over, you know, Ibiza, Paradise and all that stuff. And then, you know, whenever it came out in December, it did what it did, and you know, i'm happy that the track's still today getting you know still in the big top 100 two years later which is pretty mental. it's crazy man congrats congrats
1: it's... on that because it is a it is a fucking bomb at the end of the day it does well and mm-hmm. and you created not many it doesn't happen often but you create yeah. a sound that no one else had done before
2: yeah, yeah it's and it was totally by fluke man i mean for any producers on here like, there was no mastermind behind this. There was just, I, I think I've said it in a couple of interviews before, but the the sound, well, the idea was basically me. Um, uh, I had, like, this trap hi-hat rhythm on a, on a hi-hat, and then I had a synth, and then I accidentally put the MIDI file of the hi-hat trap rhythm <laughs> onto the synth, and then that's why you go, you know, kind of triple things. And that's how it happened. I was like, oh, fuck, this kind of sounds cool. yeah. <laughs> And then uh, that that's that's exactly where I came from, and there was no like I I'd, I'd be shipping myself here if I was like saying yeah. I came up with it and it was all this and I had it all in my head it wasn't, and um, but, um, but you know happy accidents you know.
1: I love that because it's literally the same story for every producer that has something big like, yeah, it, it, they don't mean to do it. They don't go in the studio to be like I'm going to write a record like this today. It literally is like they click the wrong button on the synth and something happens and it sounds amazing. That's kind of the most perfect thing. However, though, like, a lot of people don't know how long you've been doing it. Like, we've known each other for... A
3: a, a very long time.
1: I think I was 17 or 18 and you were 16 when we first met. Yeah. I was was resident at Orange Corner and you played at Orange Corner in Ibiza for me. Like... What happened from then? Because before, like, Ruben Keeney is your real name. Like, what happened from your Ruben Keeney days to the Rebuke days? Like, what was the whole kind of process? Because I know you were like, you had a, a bit of success with Ruben Keeney, um, and then you kind of went off on your own direction with that. Like, what happened from 16 year old Ruben Keeney to Rebuke? Like, what was the process?
2: Yeah. So, whenever, um, you know, I started the Mac music when I was 13 or 14. And yeah. when I was 16, I had my first like, real release, you know, it was, um, you know, came out in vinyl, it came out in Steve Mack's label, Smack, it yeah. was called Coming Up. And it was the first sort of record that I put out that I seen the big DJs playing. Like, you know, Cary um, Cox played it at the time, Sasha, and it crossed over to like David Guetta, but it was just sort of like, very progressive house sort of record. And that was my first kind of taste of, all right, well, maybe, you know, this is actually, you know, I could actually make, maybe make a career this. But at yeah. that time I was still in school and I couldn't really give it my full attention yet. I was doing exams and stuff and, you know, parents being as parents, they want me to focus on, you know, not school. feel that even sir. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there was, there was a bit of a side, a side project, but I kind of knew in my head I always wanted to do that. And, you know, from even watching really early videos of like, when I was playing the trance stuff when i was 12 or 13 i was like this is why this is what i want to do when i'm older yeah and i always had that in my head you know so i mean i started releasing music like that and then um i kind of experimented a lot between the ages of like 16 to even up until a couple of years ago putting out all sorts of music from you know techno music to you know uh progressive house music to the dreaded edm a little bit yeah. of that too and um you know we kind of well i, I kind of just like I, I guess what I would say now the rebuke project is like a mash between everything yeah. and all the experiences I've had with like putting out different types of music and they all kind of came together and made this sort of diffuse this sound. Um, the rebuke project itself was kind of more just due to the fact that under my own name, I had put out so much stuff that I think people are probably getting confused of what the yeah. identity was. And I think yeah, I yeah. lost that quite a bit. So I wanted to have some uh, new kind of, exciting project that focused solely on dance the dance floor i mean there's no other there's no other method message whenever i um, i created rebuke it was dance floor bangers that's it there's no other there's no other kind of hidden thing behind it it's just i want to make music that makes people dance and make people want to take our tops off and throw it around you know yeah and yeah, uh definitely. <laughs> that, that's still really fast today man that's that's what i do and like you know it's it's it has been working and you know obviously uh it's been a while you know it's been a long time you know coming for me i've been making music for 12 13 years but i still think that that now is probably the best time to break through because i've been going through so many different like you know i've gone through, through so many different hurdles and i've experienced so much in my career so far yeah that i can kind of make the right decisions now and not like take everything that gets thrown at me because you know yourself you, when you have a like a big record all of a sudden everybody wants to be a friend everybody <laughs> wants to get you to remix or crack or send their label and yeah you really need to like cut through that and be like, all right, is this what I want? You know, and sometimes it's difficult because you know you have these artists that you've been looking up to since you're 13 asking you do you want to do like a collaboration or a remix or yeah. a to their label? And you really need to think of the of the project and like where do you want to go? You know, you can't yeah, like yeah. let somebody else define you. So there's a lot. There was a lot of that that went on, but I think if I hadn't have gone through the hurdles that I had before, I probably would have made them mistakes and probably wouldn't be where you know the Rebuke project luckily is at now. You know, but it's still an ongoing thing, you know, and I'm sure you you know you get the same thing as well. So it's just uh, you know I guess timing as well as, as everything.
1: It's really interesting <clears> that, isn't it? When like I've had it in a few occasions where you kind of get to the point where you look you you look up to somebody as like. You love their music. They, uh, you look at them as extremely successful, and then when your success kind of overtakes their success, yeah. or it's kind of that weird feeling. But it's it, you don't think that it can ever happen, mm-hmm. um, because you're like, you, I, I, I would always put people on pedestals. If you know what I mean, I'd always look up at so much of people and like respect so yeah, much of definitely. what they've done. Um. Yeah. But then that's just it's just life, isn't it? It's people kind of have their time, and some people, some people's times aren't when other people's times are. And yep. I think this is the amazing thing about this industry: you could have like people that are extremely successful, kind of go under the radar for a long time, and then release a really fucking good record, and yep. they're back up up here. And I, I think it's just the the vibe of just keep trucking on uh, because eventually it's gonna come it'll eventually come around if you keep working hard at it and you're a classic example of that like and what's your thoughts on like the importance of giving like your fan base like a clear cut of what you do rather than going in between the lines and kind of doing that with like what you were saying with with your old stuff is that it was just too kind of it was all over the shop, if you know what I mean, and you couldn't, you wouldn't necessarily have one fan base. Or what's your thoughts on the rebuke stuff? Do you think just doing straight club bangers has actually helped you? And by not ver- verging off left or right, is has kind of helped you.
2: Um, I think to, to not make it too like, um, business minded, you know, you, you sort of need to think of it like a brand as if like you walk into McDonald's now, you know, you're going to get a double cheeseburger and yeah. you're going to feel like shit afterwards, but it tastes good at the time, yeah, you know, yeah. and you know, that's what you <laughs> know when going into that store, you're not going to get like some, you know, keto friendly meal or you're not going to get like, you know, you know what you're going to get. So I think at, at least starting out as an artist, um you need to have like some real clear cut branding and like have a real sense of direction for fans to get behind. Yeah. Because there's just so many artists out there and there's so many great artists doing great things, but because they're kind of spiraling off and doing so many different things, it's, Really hard for like somebody to like latch onto, and it's the same with me. I mean, if I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a music fan as well, and you know, whenever I check out a DJ, you know, I like this record. It'd be great if I could hear some more records in the same lane. Obviously, not copy what they're doing, but yeah. I like, I like this track. I wonder what their next four or five releases are like as well. And if I seen them go from like a techno track to all of a sudden a complete like melodic house track to yeah. a trance banger, then you're kind of like, oh, you know, this is a bit weird. Unless they confuse the sound together in a way where it still sounds consistent yeah so i mean that that's how i view on it i mean as the time goes on as you build your fan base and like you're four or five years into your career then you can start spiraling a little bit different and i think fans know they know about you enough where you can put out this ambient album or do you know whatever and um they'll still like listen to it for face value because they've got you've got such a back catalog and your message is out there at that stage already and that's for me how how i see see it working that's kind of what i try to do now you know
1: yeah definitely it's weird i was in a session the other day i was and uh we were talking about like djs producers and like bands that have been able to release like commercial music but when they get to the club or they get to do their live shows and they just play banging techno and like chemical chemical brothers daft punk uh almost faithless to a certain extent as well and to get to that point is for me would be like heaven mm-hmm. where you can like write amazing records that the general public that like not the the dance and house community it it goes out it goes bigger the records go bigger than that but yep. then you go to a club and you can just play like whatever the fuck you want and you kind of get that ability but it's so hard to get to that point. It's,
2: it's yeah. I think it's hard, but also I think you know, for like the examples you give, like the Chemical Brothers and stuff, they've been going since like what the nineties, right? Nineties, yeah. So they've they've already like such a massive fan base, and people know Chemical Brothers is like squelchy acid music, and it's just bonkers stuff, and they've got this massive visuals. Yeah, people know that Chemical Brothers, all you know, from that, so they get about they get away with probably been able to put out something a little bit more commercial. Yeah. As long as it stays in the same lane, I think. But I think, you know, for guys that they've never put out a record before and then they try and put out like a UK top 40 smash record.
3: Yeah. If they put
2: out that UK top 40 smash record, that's what they're defined as totally at that time. And then I think they have to like work a little bit backwards in to try and, you know, do what they really want to do. And, and that's kind of to be honest, man, I, I had that problem a little bit, you know, with the Kane Poly. It wasn't a massive thing, but you know, I've I've always played the more techno side of things. Yeah. And um, along came Pauli. Obviously, came out on a you know tech house uh, which is known for house music and tech house music, and it got done by a lot of the you know the house guys. So whenever I started to play gigs, I was going to to play shows, and I was playing a bit harder. And for the first six months, people were kind of like, you know, I thought you were going to play a tech house set, which is not really what I do, you know. Yeah. So it took a bit of time to get to kind of adapt from that. But now I'm in a good place. But like that's in a small way, It's nothing compared to like the Chemical blurs and stuff. But <laughs> You know, it's a, it's um, it's a funny one, man. It's you just have to like really be careful, of, like what way you put yourself across the first couple of years, and just really, you know, work it that way. I think.
1: No, I totally agree. I think also fan bases, especially in Europe, it's quite a clicky fan base. Yeah. Um, or it's it's not necessarily fan base scenes are quite clicky. Um yeah. Whereas I find in America, the kind of fan bases are a little bit more open, where you're gonna get fan base that goes they might go and see you play at a festival but then they're also gonna go and see Tiesto and they're also gonna go see some dubstep act if you know what I mean. Whereas in the UK it's like a little bit more okay, I'm just a tech house fan and I'm just mm-hmm. gonna go see the tech house. I'm gonna stay at the tech house tent all day long. Um yeah. which
2: because it... 'cause they're they're there just to be there sort of thing. I mean I've seen that so many times man it's like fuck you go to play these festivals and um, you know, some of them some of them are amazing and then some of them are just like they're all standing around like they're just looking at each other and they're taking the Snapchat photos and stuff and you're yeah. just like I could literally play anything and they're not gonna make a reaction, it doesn't matter what I play, you know, <laughs> you know and they just wanna be seen to be there, which is you know, it is what it is, but yeah, what's really
1: your thoughts what I- on that? Because um I guess like I was talking about this with Harvey Mackay on the last mm-hmm. podcast, I think, or at some point somewhere. Um because like house is a lot more fashionable now and or house techno it's like kind of especially in the UK we like we get top we get number ones that house records and have done it for years and years and years like house is a huge part in the British culture but what's your thoughts on um like festivals and clubs because for me, like when I go to a club, I don't expect anyone to know who I am. For me, yep. it's just like, how the fuck am I going to win these people over? I find it is like more of a kind of a challenge. But especially at these festivals, a lot of people aren't even there to see anyone. What's, yeah. what's your thoughts on all of that?
2: I like think the famous one was uh, it's a photo from years ago where this uh, this I think you know what I'm about to say. Is, uh, this this girl taking a photo with M. K. and Jamie fucking Jones. And yeah. <laughs> you know that, that sort of like was <laughs> that sort of sums up the whole situation, really. You know, but um, but you know, we it, it is what it is, man. I mean, the, these people they're obviously coming to the gigs because they like it in some shape or form. They might not be as diehard fans as me and you are listening to Chemical Brothers from the '90s, but you know they they love the music in some way. They might not love it as, in as deep a level as we do. Yeah. But You know, it is. I think the reason we get to play so many gigs is because, you know, it's grown so much. And um, this might be a like this might be like unpopular topic or unpopular opinion, but I think the EDM era sort of helped us get to that stage. Massively, yeah. I think the EDM guys like David Guetta and 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 Tiesto or whatever, they got in Swedish House Mafia. They got to such a level where whenever that bust the fans still want to listen to different music and yeah. they trickle down to like the the tree a little bit and they're getting into techno they're getting into house music they're getting yeah. into tech house and it's the scene as a whole is growing and that's a fact i mean if you look at the statistics from the IMS um report every year are, like, the music the, the music fans are going up and up every year yeah. so i mean i think that's cool and you're going to get a bit of people that are kind of going to the festival for the first time or their mates dragging them along and stuff but you know it's it's as long as it's not too overwhelming and it's not like a complete sort of like posers fest, then I'm I can get behind it, you know. I, <laughs> you're always gonna get a yeah. but you know you need very, a couple of guys that are like actually really into it to keep the party going, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely. I've only played one festival where I'm like I'm I'm not doing that again. Like yeah. it's just yeah, I've only had it once. No. Um but they're just it's just so depressing when you're yeah. just playing and you you might as well just be playing in an iPod. Um I know. And I, and to be fair, it could have been me. It could have been the mood that I'm in, like mm-hmm. at that time, because it's like it it could 100% have just been me and just you know like how it is. Sometimes you get off the decks, and you're like, oh yeah, that was shit. Yeah. Um, so it could have been my fault, but yeah, man, I feel
2: like crap afterwards. But you know the weird thing about that it was like whenever you do gigs like that, and then you check like your Facebook, or Instagram afterwards, everybody's like, this is the best gig I've ever you been to. This it. Really, you play it amazing. You're like. Really? I thought, I, I thought everybody hated it You yeah. know and I, <laughs> You check your phone and I, get it, I, was like, <laughs> go, I don't know how good it was I was like alright fucking, I managed to wing that one again <laughs>
1: Yeah totally So what's, you, what's been your like Part Since being Rebuke And since like The record slammed And then obviously you had Rattle Was Rattle the follow up From Along Came Polly? Uh,
2: so the pipe was the follow up Oh the pipe Yeah 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 uh, And then it was Because it was funny Because obviously the, the pipe came out On Dirty Bird Which yeah. did really well as well, and, and it came out in quite a quick succession because I wrote the pipe whilst the long Polly Paul was still in the middle of getting released because yeah. of what I said earlier about the long, the long like release date,
3: yeah, December,
2: yeah. December. So I'd already got the pipe more or less ready to go by that stage. So the pipe came out in January, and it was funny because I did my first tour in America. Um, well, I, p- I played Miami with, with you in, in March, but then the first fall tour was like in June. Yeah. And I was sort of, it was weird because whenever I went to America, the pipe was kicking off. And then when I played back in Europe, along King Polly was yeah. kicking off. So it was cool to see the tracks sort of like, they're like two different tracks in two different territories that were all doing really well, which is fucking amazing for me, you know? And, um, and then later in the year I ended up kind of, um, uh, well I ended up putting out the Rattle EP on, on Adams, Adam Bear's drum code label and that sort of, um, that came about from me putting a release on his uh, True Soul sub label, which is a bit yeah. more kind of groovier. And then he seen that I was playing a lot more technical stuff in my sets, and I was sending him some bits and bobs, and he was like, hey, you know, do you want to try something for, for drum code? And um, I just happened to have been finishing Rattle that same week. So I said it to him, and he played it all summer long. C- kind of like almost like a carbon copy story of what happened with Lunky and Polly, in a way, yeah. where he played it all summer, and then it came out in like October, November that year. And it did really well as well so it's happened a couple of times and um since then i've kind of i feel like i've got the freedom to put out a record like say dial tone when i put it in dirty bird like last month and now in a couple of weeks time i put out my next drum code ep which is Slam and techno and i love the the fact that i can do that and still yeah. manage to like not alienate people you know
1: yeah totally so, i think i think your sound kind of just fits across both boards though. um yeah
2: I mean it's it's cool. and I mean you have to define it quite a bit. I mean, it goes back to like me making sure like as I said about picking the right labels and doing the right remixes and like for instance, whenever I came Poy came out first, I got so many, you know, major label NRs looking to yeah. stick a book over it and put it in the top forty. And it was just not for me, man. Like it, it goes back to what I was saying about defining your project. Do you want to be like a UK top ten guy where you're playing, you know, these festivals for kids? Less you know, singing one song of yours. And that's not really what I wanted to do, man. I wanted to be a club DJ. I want to be an underground artist. Yeah. So, you know, it goes back to that again. And that, that's sort of the same ethos all the day, man. It's just what I do. So, you know, see how it grows, really. It's
1: tough, isn't it? Because I think in being in the industry, you see both sides of it, right? You see people that have, like, top tens in the charts and being extremely successful. And especially in times like this where there's no shows, at all when people are making serious money on streams and things like that and then obviously being an underground club dj you rely purely on the shows most mostly um like what's your thoughts on that like with regards to the streaming with and the finances and things like that when it comes to situations like this
2: um I don't know man I mean like I try not to moan about it too much because let's be honest we get paid a lot of money to do what we do so I mean there's people in so like such worse positions than I am or also the DJs too and I mean I feel really bad for the guys that have like had their first breakthrough record in the past few months and you know that must be so bad man because like you've got this massive tune you can't even play to anybody and it's like the one great thing, well, the good thing for me and I when I came, I came out is I could have like 18 months of touring after after yeah. that and I could like build up the fan bases. So whenever things go back to normal at some stage in the future, I'll still hopefully have some of that fan base still looking to come to my shows. Totally, but yeah. For guys that are having their first breakthrough track now, it's so important that they get out in the tour and they build up that, those fan bases in different areas, but they just can't do that and they're kind of restricted to like doing live streams and stuff, which I don't know how effective that is. You know, I don't know if live stream is going to cut the cut through the, the noise. But yeah. I just yeah. feel so bad for them. Maybe maybe in a year's time or six months time, whenever we start doing gigs again, they'll still be as popular as they were. But I just feel really bad for those guys because I think they're in a really hard position where obviously they're lucky to get their big record, but also you know they need to 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 I think to go from an artist that has a big- track to like a turn DJ you need to sort of do the turn for a long time and you'll build up the fan base in different areas and they've not had the chance to do that No that man, sucks, you know?
1: I totally agree there's been like a few big records that have come out over the like lockdown period and you're just like oh, I really hope they just kind of keep going for you and, or they get or like what you're saying they get revived in when the clubs kind of start opening which I think they will because with how streaming works Records just keep doing well if, if it's a good record, if that makes sense And they just yeah. It's just how it is um, So fingers crossed they do But um, I, I for me, I feel sorry I feel more sorry for like The people that work in the clubs And mm-hmm. the people that work in the industry That yeah, you're right we, We're lucky that we get paid pretty good money I think also, I feel sorry for the people That have just gotten into like full-time music when you kind of like take that take that jump to be like okay i I can just about pay my rent to like with my shows and then it all just gets taken away it was i've known quite a few people that have had that and you're just like oh it's it's not good it's not fun and there's not
2: much advice you can really offer them man. i mean like it's just you know, it's, it is what it is. You just have to kind of roll the punches, don't you? And it's the the only, I mean, the only thing is every one of us is on the same boat. None of us are performing. Well, very few of us. Um, But, you you know, and and the people that are performing, they're not, you know, they're getting a lot of backlash for doing it. So I'm kind of happy not to be performing. (laughs) But um, it's, it's just, I don't know, man, it's weird. It's just a weird time. But hopefully, I mean, hopefully over the next six months, we start seeing some sort of, farm of music coming back in getting
1: for gigs at least yeah I, I think at the end of the day this is just something that no one could have ever predicted so you yeah. can't really you can't really moan about it because it is what it is everyone's in the same boat um i think it's going to be interesting when things do come back because it at this moment in time everyone's in a on like a level playing field and i mm-hmm. think whoever comes out of this strong with music because at the end of the day music is is what kind of moves this industry great great records really do move this industry um so whoever comes out with with the best records is kind of going to be on top winning and it's going to be exciting because at this moment in time like whether you're adam bay or whether you're starting out no one's really playing any shows
0: um
1: so yeah it's it's Interesting times, man. Interesting times. Yeah. How's, uh, how's things in Ireland?
2: Yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, um, we had like a jump in cases last week. I think it was last Friday, but it was um, pinpointed to like an outbreak in a food chilling plant, basically. Yeah. So um, we had like two, like 175 cases, which doesn't seem a lot, but for Ireland, that's the most that's cases lot. we've had since May. Mm um but it's kind of gone back down again a little bit but the, the one thing I, I have to say about the irish government is that you know as soon as anything changes we're the first well we're, we're on a straight away we're not waiting for a week to make a change yeah you know, yeah at that day we'll make changes and that'll be that done you know it's, it's it's good the way that we've handled it in a way i mean we've not handled it the best like new zealand might have handled it but you know <laughs> think about those countries like new zealand they're a thousand you know what is it a thousand kilometers away from their nearest or maybe ten thousand kilometers yeah. from their nearest you know nearest neighbor so i mean it's a lot different to like ireland where we've got the borders with you know northern ireland and uk and stuff yeah um so it's always going to be a bit different but oh know. it's just good man i mean we try and keep the head up i mean there's no gigs at all there's no sign of anything we've like got the pubs have opened up again but they have to be closed by 11 yeah um and you know shops and restaurants are gradually getting you know Back in full swing, so it's, it's going good. I just hope that there's no like mad, uh, you know, re what what do they call it? A resurgence. A resurgence in it all. Yeah. yeah, it's mad, man.
1: It's mad. So what what have you been working on? How's uh how's all the releases going for the rest of the year?
2: Good, man. they more or less done. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. Almost, that. almost, yeah, almost completely done. I mean, uh, the next one is uh, I did this remix. Up, I think I said it, it was a remix of Human Resource Dominator. Yeah. Um, that comes out next Friday on Armada which is really exciting and then two weeks after that um, the Drum Code EP comes out nice so that should be pretty cool and then following that I've got a collaboration with Alan Fitzpatrick on We Are The Brave cool in October and then
1: uh, end of the year mate end of the year yes man I
2: think I've got something in December I I think we just need to to tie it all in but apart from that, the year's done I mean I'm always beginning to like not putting out too much either and i've always done that i think quality over quantity um rather than putting out something every two weeks and then you know hoping that something clicks at some stage i'd rather put out six strong releases a year five strong releases a year and call it a day and hope that they do good you know
1: yeah totally and i think also by doing like four or five originals you can kind of tie in some remixes as well that kind of comes in as the year goes on which is i what's your thoughts on remix? I always really like kind of just getting the odd remix offering and just having it be like kind of in a genre that doesn't get doesn't kind of work with what we do um mm. and then being able to put put my spin on it Have you kind of had the had the opportunities to do anything like that
2: um I've been offered a lot of remixes and and like I think what you said is great because there's so many like of so many like, instances in the past where some producers have made a full career of remixes and yeah. like, you know, the magician did that remix of Lucky Lee, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Like okay, MK. yeah, and M- exactly. MK and, 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 you know, a couple of different artists like that. So you can potentially cross different genres, but for me, when I do remixes, uh, um, unless it sort of fits, again, go, uh, unless it fits the direction, I'm trying to go in, I probably wouldn't take it on. I mean, I'd be very unlikely to like remix another techno record Yeah, because it's pointless me doing, a, yeah, me doing a techno remix of a techno track sort of like what what's yeah. the point what i'm what i, I going to do change a couple of patterns and like yeah, bounce yeah. back out again you know it's it has to be different so i love taking on projects like this human resource one where it's a track that i've loved from back in the day and that's yeah. sort of your gravy thoughts a little bit um and you know it, it seems that whenever i whenever i played it out there during the year got a good connection so That's sort of what I do. And whenever I do remixes, I always speak to the company or the label or whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to treat this remix as a original record. Basically. Yeah. So I'm going to promote it as much as I would promote original because I see some artists, they'll do like 20 remixes a year. They'll not even put up a post on it on Facebook. They'll just let it do its thing, and it might tick off, it might not tick off. And to be honest, they treat it more as a cash cow than anything. I think and, that's. Uh, I
1: think that's that is the case, isn't it? It's more so yeah. somebody's offered you like a shitload of money to do a remix, yeah. and you're kind of just it is what it is, and you, you yeah. you're just doing it. But I I also get in these times as well that some people are having to do that as well. So yeah, in man, life I mean, as well, people are earning money, and at the end of the day. It, I don't have an issue with that, but it's just, yeah, you're right. It's just about doing, doing what fits you. If that yeah. makes sense. I, I, I would never yeah. forget, like it was ZDS on Disco squad. He, he was the one that person that said that to me like years ago. He was like, just don't be in a point where you have to take something for money because you'll regret yeah. doing it in like five years time. And it will probably, it will probably do pretty well, but you'll probably regret doing it.
2: Um, Absolutely, which is an That's interesting thing track. once you kind of uh, once you sort of like put money in front of art does that make sense then yeah. you're kind of in a downward spiral I think you sort of need to place yourself like going back to the new artist that say had a big track once he her touring he should save up all the money he has in case something like this happens again yeah. have a little like, account sitting with your money so if you have like another three months off you're not having to remix Spice Girls to yeah. pay your rent a month, you know. And I think that's sort of what I did a little bit too. And it's it's all about putting yourself in a position where you you're kind of a little bit you're not reliant on getting money month to month and you're not reliant on these remixes to pay your bills because yeah. it's such a it's it's I, I, I completely understand why people do it and it's probably pretty annoying for them because they know deep down they probably don't want to remix the track but they know it's a good payday for them. Yeah. But you need to kind yeah. of think like reflect on five years from now and be like you know what did i really want to remix that track did it really fit what i was trying to do did yeah, it fit yeah. the direct direction and if it did then great you know whatever but if it didn't then you should probably be more like you know i wouldn't say exclusive to what you do, but just be more kind of you know focused on what you want to do rather than like taking these things oh but it's easy money and you know and then you kind of regret it don't seem to take it on gigs man i mean like Whenever I started, you know, getting offered gigs, a lot, a lot of the parties that I got offered to play just weren't sort of in the vein of where I was wanting to go. And that goes back to what I was saying about kind of being, you know, sort of branded as like a house tech house DJ at the start whenever I was playing techno gigs. And I had to knock back so many like really, really cool gigs that people would probably be like, what the fuck, why would you do that? Yeah. And it was just the fact that I didn't want to be labeled as like a house or a tech house artist. I want to be, you know, you know, I want to be labeled as a techno artist that can also play tech house and house music and do a bit of everything. Yeah. And I had oh. to knock back so much stuff, and sometimes sit at home for the weekend, not playing a gig at all. Whenever I could have done that, yeah. Which uh, my agent at the time didn't like, but <laughs> you know, I think it sort of paid its, paid itself off um, in a way now, where I'm kind of in a position where I can sort of do whatever I want to do. And i if I was on a certain lineup with like a drum code guys, I wouldn't be out of place compared to like some other people in the scene that might be a little bit out of place, you know. I think so, I think uh, it's
1: the I think the power of saying no is is really powerful and. Yeah. it's not even the fact that you're being difficult it's just knowing clearly cut exactly where you want to be and if this yeah. is having I was literally had a conversation with a mate just before this podcast and it's like work out where you want to be work out your your the end goal and the end goal will can always change however mm-hmm. if you work out your end goal and then work back on how to get there yeah. you've got to make sure that every kind of single step of the way you you can, you can be like, is this heading towards the end goal? It it yep. might be a side road, and it might be a squiggly. Rutt- it's not going to be one straight line, one hundred percent. That's not. It's not how this career works. It's not how life works, but totally. by, by getting it, but by getting it in your head and in your team's head and everyone around you so everyone understands that this is why we're doing this and this is what we're doing is is kind of great for me like I haven't done that like the whole time and and I kind of envy artists like yourself where you have this clean cut vision of the direction that you want to go like for me I was I've been kind of down the I've done so much under the Will Clark name over the years and it's only, it's literally in the last maybe 18 months that I've fully known exactly where I want to take things, but it's a process if you know what I mean. And, and could, could I have changed my name? Yeah, I could have. Um, And I could Mm -hmm. have started a whole new project and kind of done that. But for me, it was just, for me, it was like kind of a challenge to myself to like see how I can kind of, change the brand and although i don't really like using the word brand because it's it's just me um but yeah it's it's an interesting it's an interesting one because there's been a lot of artists that we all know that we're all friends with that have like had a massive switch up if you know what i mean and if you look at even if you look at some artists that are huge now and what they were releasing like 10 years ago or even five years ago is some of it was absolute garbage like i've released some absolute garbage um, but I think that's just the whole joys of doing what we do, right? Um...
2: Yeah, but, but like I think the reason why why you know I could get this sort of like vision now with rebuke is because I did that for so long under my own name, and I knew how like fuck, man. I, I remember th- like a real point in my. I, th- I think i ended up like remix i'm not gonna, actually i'm not going to name what it was because i just don't want to upset anybody but i ended up doing this remix coming to endless frustration from like the Re- reuben keeney project yeah and i was like man, i really hate this back i hate i hate it i hate the artist i hate everything about it but i'm yeah. doing it because it's like whatever a couple of quid yeah and that was back before i was getting any gigs so i was reliant on that money and around that time i was like you know what man i'm fucking sick of this you know i want to do something new and i want to do something fresh and that was sort of like this beginnings I guess in some form of like putting the seed in the head about Rebuke and you know but now because of all the them past experiences which I'm sure you've gone through as well and you know in the days of you know all the years of making music you've seen that too and now we're in a place where we can you know do better with it and uh, you know kind of go far that way and also I want to go back to what you're saying about the part I've said no it's so important man yeah. for, for producers that have their first kind of breakthrough track or not, not even have a big, big you know breakthrough through track it's not always about having a, a big port number one. You know, somebody that's gaining momentum and, you know, the power of saying no is so good because chances are the person that you say no to is going to come back with the counter offer that's going to be better and more suited yeah. to you and I. I mean, a famous, well, not a famous story, but a story for me that stands out in my own career and rebuke the past couple of years was whenever I got booked to play at Tomorrowlands um, like a, a year ago. And um, whenever we got offered at first, I was like so buzzing because, hey, it's fucking Tomorrowland, isn't it? Yeah, you know, like, yeah. oh, nice time get booked to play Tomorrowland and then, you know, I found out the stage was like this stage that was kind of not really suited at all to what I was trying to do. Yeah. And yeah. it almost killed me, but I said no to it. And I was like, I'm such an idiot, man. I told my friends, I was like, i have just turned out to Marlon. I'm so stupid, you know. And then I was like, so depressed for days. And then all of a sudden, my agent called me up and they're like, oh, hey, they've counter kind of offered with uh, you to play the Eric Prince stage instead. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes you need to do that you need to have the balls to be able to like say no and, and nine times out of ten if somebody really likes what you're doing and you know they they want to have you play they'll make room for you somewhere else or they'll fit you on the label in some other shape or form and the exact same thing happened with drum code back in the day i mean rattle it, um, initially adam wanted to put it out on a compilation but i really wanted to do an ep and um you know and i ended up knocking back the compilation yeah. and you know i said to him hey man i really love drunk code but you know i don't want to put it in a compilation i'd love to put it out a single or an ep and he was kind of i'd say even then because it was the first time we spoke he was probably like jesus guy's got big balls you know they were yeah. turning it down us. but in the end it was worth it because you know i worked hard enough to get like three you know three well well-rounded tracks and it became the ep of what it was but yeah. if i didn't say no then and you know i probably would have maybe not have done what it did so i think the power of saying no is so important and um don't be afraid to do it because nine times out of ten they're going to come back with something else, or they're at least going to respect your decision. And the people that don't respect your decision are probably not the nice people, and anyway. I. Well, mean, I think
1: they're, they're probably the people that you don't want to be working any working exactly. with anyway. And I think I think the it is so important. And like with my team, the amount of stuff that we've turned down in the last like year just because, like for me, I'm trying to like build my career in UK and Europe. And we've had a few offers and we're just like, it just doesn't fit. Whereas yeah. in America it might fit, but in the UK it's just, just doesn't for me, if you know what I mean. And it's yeah. so, it is so powerful. It's so frustrating though. When you're like, yeah. when you're turning down offers or, or remix yeah. or anything, turning down anything, it's, it kind of leaves that like, Oh, uh, what if, for me, I like, I'm yeah. like, what if I met somebody there that could, that like changed my life or that like <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, exactly. it's those kind of things but you, you can't live your life by that if it if it doesn't feel right in your stomach then it's probably not right
2: yeah um, your first reaction i think is the biggest one i mean you can't get too clinical I guess sometimes because what you said is i think is 100 correct is that sometimes you play a party that might not be 100 what you want but it's yeah. not too far off and you might meet somebody that could end up changing your life and yeah you know, there's a bit of room for that, too. But, I mean, if you're getting booked to play a hard hard trance festival and you're a house DJ, then you're probably not, you know, going to do anything that's going to add value to it. I don't
1: know, though. Let's be honest. That could be quite fun.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> who knows? I can knock out a hard house set sometime. <laughs> well,
1: I think it's, like, converting people. I, mean, I never forget uh talking to Barkley, Claude Von Stroke. He when he kind of got to the point where he was like headlining big festivals, he would be, and it was during the EDM time and he would be like in between like Steve Aoki and like Swedish house mafia, just using them for an example. And he's like, what the fuck do I play? He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm playing these massive shows, but I have to keep them entertained for an hour. And The people before me and the people after me are just playing like straight bangers and he doesn't play straight bangers so it's like it's having to adapt as an artist is like if you want to be that big if you want to be a headliner at a festival you're going to be up against all the biggest all the other headliners so you it's about sometimes making yourself like be at the be as good as you possibly can and just make sure that you entertain i remember playing i can't remember what like a hard fest or one of the insomniac events and on the other stage it was like Diplo and I'm like how the fuck am I going to like compete yeah. with Diplo but you just have to and you just have to learn to like roll with it and I think that's the fun part of this industry is that we we do get opportunities that or s- some of us are lucky enough to get the opportunities that kind of puts us in a different crowd and yeah by putting ourselves into a different crowd, we have to step up and go, fuck it, let's just try it.
2: Yeah. Just totally. wing it. <laughs> yeah. No, totally, man. It's, um, it's funny when it's like the whole festivals and the balloons and stuff we got, it's, you have to be really careful with it. And even when you do be careful, sometimes it can still go wrong. I mean, yeah. a festival played where it's just, uh, it just didn't work. But, you know, you have to like write them off and be like, yeah, hey, tried it. We'll know better for next time.
3: Yeah, exactly. But,
2: yeah. It's a, but yeah, being in between, like, like say, like with Barclay, being in between Swedish House Mafia and whoever else it was, it must be pretty tough because obviously you don't want to let down the fans that are there because they love what you do and they love your big yeah. records. But also, those big records might not be big enough for like the 15 year old Swedish House Mafia fans looking to sing along to Don't You Worry Child, you know? And Yeah, yeah. You in a, compromise in a way, but not so much where you're like, going against the grain of what you've done. So it's it's that's such a hard thing to do, but you
1: know I think that's the fun of it though, right? Is that you have yeah. to, you like at the end of the day, you don't go and buy a queen ticket for them to play Bob Marley records. Although yeah. it'd be fucking dope. But yeah, you're you're being booked to play who you are. Um yep. so you can't change. But yeah. you have to be able to have the confidence to go okay, so there's 20,000 people in front of me. Let's say 2,000 people know who I am. Yeah. How the hell am I going to make sure that by the end of this, 15,000 people are going to know who I am?
2: Yeah, that's a really good way to think about it, to be honest. I think you said earlier you said on, I thought it was really cool where you kind of go into clubs and you expect nobody to know who you are and you're trying to win them all over. I think that's such a good attitude to have because so many DJs these days, they go in, they play their own music or they play stuff that they like and if the crowd doesn't like it then they yeah. can go fuck themselves yeah. but you know it's it shouldn't be like that you know you're nah. you're playing to the crowd you know they're there to dance and you have to make them dance you know if they want to hear such and sound then you have to play that sound if they're not connecting with a certain vibe you're on you need to switch that vibe up and yeah. i think that's a really good way for any dj it doesn't matter if they're a club dj or a party dj that's just, that's the way you should go into every gig thinking yeah, you know, yeah. i need to i need to, I need to you know, entertain this crowd rather than being all about this is the me show, you know, listen to what I'm playing, you know, I don't care about you, guys, you know,
1: so I, I don't really go to festivals unless I'm playing. But last year I went to Junction 2 and uh, without saying any names or I I went to see an art artists like a, a a group of artists that I was like, I'm really excited, I really like their music. And within the first 15 20 minutes i was with some mates um and that actually work in the industry and they had artists that were playing at the, at the festival and i was like they opened with them it was the most boring opening ever yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah
1: and you have some of the biggest records ever in the industry like yeah. ever and you open with that i'm just like yeah. this this just not like yeah i get it you're at a cool festival but half of these people don't give a fuck about being cool half Uh of these people uh want to hear you play your biggest records and make sure that everyone fucking parties and has the best time and i want to leave the part i want to leave the club knowing that i've done a good job or the festival and this is kind of where my uh competitive side i want to leave the festival and everyone talk about my my set i don't want anyone to talk about rebuke set i don't want anyone to talk about Clove von stroke set i want everyone to talk about will clark set and that's just the competitive side of it but also by doing that you're entertaining everyone else and that's yeah, what, and I think, that's what pays
2: yeah, us I think that's, why you, that's why you've built such a fledgling fan base man, and that's why people love what you do is because you've got that mentality and um honestly i try to do the exact same thing i mean you need to put the ego aside, you know, yeah, yeah, you've had a couple of like tracks, people might know them, but you're still playing to a crowd that you need to, you know, you need to have more more less put in your head that nobody's heard of, yeah. heard of you. I mean, if you're playing a headline show where, you know, you've sold out a thousand tickets and they're all there to see you play, then maybe a little bit different. You might be able to kind of get away with like knowing, all right, well, these people are my fans already, but for festivals and stuff like that. You need to go on thinking, none of these guys know who I am. I need to impress them and I need to, even if they do know who I am, the chances are that they're not a massive fan, but you need them going away fucking shouting your name from the rooftops and talking about it for the next six months, you know? And yeah. that, that's, I think that's the guys that rise to the top or the, the guys that never forget that and don't kind of fall too into the trap of playing big festival after another and being like, Ugh, who cares? There's another one next weekend, you know?
1: Yeah, and don't get me wrong. There is like, how many times have you got to a show or you're at a hotel before a show and you're like, oh my fucking God, I cannot be bothered to play this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like e- everyone has that. And you like, or you, the alarm wakes you up and you're like, oh my God, I have to get on a plane. Like, Hello? I've two hours sleep. or I've not had any sleep and I've all got right. to play tonight and I know I'm not going to sleep on the plane, blah, blah, blah. However, when you get there, it's like, That's a it's fucking work, man. It's like, this is work. This is This is our work and people have paid. People have earned, people have worked all week to earn money to see you play yeah. and if they they're not going to forget if you play a shit set they're never going to yeah. forget if you play a shit set
3: yeah and no, totally not. just
1: gotta totally. fucking fucking do it
2: yeah and i think as well as like whenever you kind of get to the club above me and i whenever i'm maybe so tired and am like i don't even want to play this gig and Oh, you know, I'm so tired, I haven't slept in two days. But then when you get to the club and you see people's faces and you yeah. see excited there and how they're dancing, you're like you get like a second window, do not you? You're like fucking let's go, you know? Yeah. And yeah, uh, you can go off you can go on all night then. But uh Man, I, miss but it. just... I miss it.
1: I miss it the I have I haven't missed it. I haven't missed playing since lockdown really, up until the last like couple of weeks cause it's I've yeah. actually really enjoyed having time off. Um yeah. but I'm like starting to miss like going to sweaty clubs. And like just playing in uh-huh. front of people, it's like. Yeah.
3: What's
1: what's been the like part of your career, like after a long cane poly and the pipe and rattle? Like what's been your the part in your career where you're like, fuck! I've like I've I've achieved something. Like where what was it? Was there was there a specific uh-huh. thing or was there a specific? Was it like getting the beatboard number one or was it the like? playing a show or what 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 part was it in your in in your career
2: there's been like a couple of milestones for me when i started that i wanted to do i mean the beatport number one thing was one of them um essential new tune was another one which yeah. i was buzzing about just because everybody wants an essential new channel it's amazing that feeling um, isn't it yes it's just wicked man and then, i don't I, think, I don't, know how I, think
1: I don't think sorry to butt in but i don't think like people outside of the music industry realize how much essential big tune yeah. is like
2: exactly
1: is, what I was gonna say, is part of is like how it feels to have that if you know what i mean yeah it's well, something
2: it's a good like i guess it's if anything it's a good tastemaker sort of thing because yeah. if you get your sense of new tune then you're kind of for the right people as, as you're saying like spotify and stuff you're firmly on their radar if you get a sense of new tune and you know it usually leads to more success but so, stuff like that was really good. And then, you know, just the touring. I mean, you know, the first tour in America, um, I played in June last year, but went okay. I mean, it wasn't the best. Like, it was a kind of, it was a weird one because it was all my own shows. And I was, like, playing a headline show on, say, like, Seattle on a Wednesday night yeah. and then, like, Denver on a Tuesday. And it was my first time playing that run of shows, And they did the okay like, they weren't horrendous, by no means, but they weren't, like, jam-packed like it was yeah, used to yeah. back in Europe. But then when I played there again in September, um the gigs were so much better already well not not better but they were just a lot more busier and you yeah. could tell people were starting to get to know me a lot more and that was a real kind of cool moment for me because i'm like all right well things are starting to bold and i'm going in the right direction totally. and that for me is like more important than well more important than like getting a B-Port number one and yeah. stuff like that because these days to be honest man i could give a fuck if i get a B-Port number one i don't really care i mean yeah. it's just more kind of i want to like over the past few months and especially since the lockdown i've realized the importance of keeping your fans you already have important or in, in the main yeah. mindset cool. rather than trying to push Oh, i want to get another fifty thousand fans by the end of the year you should really just focus on the people that you have already and yeah. keep them happy because they're the ones that are going to push your music to the friends and all. and um so what i've been doing recently is more kind of like setting up like little fun facebook groups we've got the review gravers club that we set up that, the other week yeah and uh, that's been yeah. doing really well that's been just hopping all the time and, on facebook and you know i, I try and you know be pretty active on social media all the time on instagram and twitter and you know interact with the fans and kind of get to know them in a t- kind of deeper level and that to me is way more rewarding than anything else so i've been doing a lot of that um but going back to your question about different like accolades i mean yeah if, honestly man if, there's not a lot left on the list to do i mean i'd love to yeah. just play different areas i'd love to like play India. i'd love to you know, do a couple of headline festivals in America and stuff, yeah. but there's not a cool. whole lot left that I'm like, this is what I want to do, you know, yeah, and this yeah, is where yeah. I need to get, I mean, the next real step, and this is something that I've been speaking to my team about for the past few months, is to build this little, like, world or little community where they can, like, fans can talk to each other, and they can build their own little parties and eventually build that into, like, a fledging sort of, you know, world of its own. That, that's the next big thing for me, really, because the rest is kind of all done, and you know, I think if if we all just kind of kept aiming to get another Beatport number one, we could be like, it's like throwing a dart. At, you know, throwing a dart with a blindfold on—you don't know yeah. what's going to happen. But I think building a fan base is a lot more. I would say easier, but it's a lot more focused, and you can achieve it a lot more. You know.
1: I think realistically, like a Beatport number one is an ego thing, and building a fan base yeah. is is more so giving it back. Giving this sounds yeah. cheesy as fuck, but it's giving it back to the people. Totally, man. Um, totally. And I think that's the, for me, that's the one thing that's helped me the most is like my social media is just like constantly responding to people being just like respecting the people that come to my shows and listen to my music. That's there's a lot of big DJs out there that don't do that. And I think especially during lockdown and coronavirus, I think they've realized that they kind of have to keep their fan base because happy yeah. because they're going to fuck off at the end of the day people grow up as well people grow up I think for me is a lot of it is about find finding not finding but introducing having my music introduced to the younger generations as well I've seen it with Dirty Bird um I kind of I got on Dirty Bird my first release was 2015 and I've seen like a lot of people from 2015 that I'm now really close friends with over the last five, six years don't go to parties anymore or they want to go to different parties and they don't want to go to a dirty bird party, but they want to go to this party. And it's about how do we capture those those fans and how do we keep those fans in to be fans of our music. But also how do we get the the new fans that might not have even heard of me, if you know what I mean. And by growing that, um I think it's really key, I think it's really key.
2: Yeah, because I think like that, uh, first, like that was one of the things I really admired about you when I, even before the review project was whenever, you know, you started probably like around 2015, 2016, when you had your first couple of breakthrough tracks, I noticed that you'd be replying to everybody. You know, you'd be replying, you'd go to, you go to so much effort to reply to all your fans on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and that's actually something that, you know, I took away from you by the way. Because I was like, this is fucking so dope, man. This guy's actually going and he's replying to everybody. And, and these people, they appreciate it, man. They're the fans, appreciate it. They like getting their reply back. Just like you would love to get a reply back if you're a favorite band or whatever. Exactly. from You know, back in the they replied to you. And that could be the difference between them keeping up with your music or not. And it all takes us for us to spend two seconds to acknowledge them and just say, hey, you know, thanks, yeah. whatever. And you don't have to go and write an essay to them, but, you know, just something. And then I think as well, you know, like I, I do a weekly mix show And just, you know, playing new music And obviously you do the radio show and stuff And your mixes as well And I think fans appreciate that Because yeah, they know there's no money in that We do that just to get back to them And, you know, something to keep them going And I think that's the sort of, like, staples Of building, like, a really healthy fan base That is going to still be there in five or ten years' time I mean, you still need to put out music And make music that people like But, you know, that's sort of You know, we have totally. a tendency to the right out with music
1: I think it's about what works for you as the artist as well um i think for me i've seen a lot of things in lockdown and a lot of people try new things because it's more so based on finances and how can i build a fan base and earn money out of them rather than how can i build a fan base that are going to be with me for the rest of my life yep um because for me is like which is the reason why i haven't done any like live streams and I haven't done any like Twitch stuff or gaming stuff or try to become like a YouTuber or something like that. It's because it just doesn't feel right to me. Um, yeah. But what I can, what I do give to the fans is what works for me and also works for them. Um, I think it's just about also going back to that thing about having, having your, you're like who you look up to kind of respond back to you or who you who you like to go to see in the club and things like that. Um I think it's really important because as I'm sure you had it at the beginning of your career when you like direct message like some D some bigger DJs that you look up to and they don't respond. And then when you yes. get a first bit of success, they're the first people to want to collab with you, or they're the first oh, people yeah. and you're just like, Oh, this it's so sad because yeah. it's like it's a- this is just
2: yeah, you lose I, a lot of respect for them. Massive, so you know, and massive
1: way. amounts, and for me, it's like it. For me, the the industry is just about building relationships and friendships up, and then whatever comes out of that. Like, let's say, for instance, like if we ever did a clap, it's none of us pushing it. We're just like, yeah, we should write some music someday, but it that's not the be on end all of our relationship if you know what i mean it's yeah, it's, just it's just like it. it's just part of it that might happen one yeah. day might not happen and if it doesn't none of us are going to fucking lose any sleep over it
3: yeah.
1: but yeah. it's it's the relationships that come wanting something and i think that's really yeah. unhealthy and i think this happens in life right it, like everybody sees not everybody but a lot of people see somebody be successful and then want a piece of it and yeah. you can see it from miles away it's just kind oh, of cringe man. it's so cringe so if that's you I've... out there listening don't be that person <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh but i've seen some horror kisses the past year two. So I, I bet know. you have because you've
1: not... you, you went from like no disrespect you went from not releasing music yep. to one of the biggest yeah. artists or or most in-demand artists in the in the world yeah you I must see. have seen some
2: yeah, a lot, man. I mean, it's, it, it's sort of disappointing a little bit because at one stage you thought these guys were the B's knees. You know, yeah. you thought these guys are class. Hopefully, I'll be like them one day. And then, you know, I'm not saying that I'm like them now. If they've had, you know, massive careers and stuff. But as soon as you get to any level of success, they're the first ones trying to ride off the back of it. And I'm sure they've been sending another 10 or emails to other hot guys that week as well. Yeah. That are doing well on the scene. They're hot guys or, or girls or whatever um you know and it's just um it's disappointing man but you know you kind of get where they're coming from they've been in the scene for a while and they they sort of need people like us to keep them relevant in a way which is yeah. kind of sad in itself i don't think it's something that i could ever do you know i think when i when i've had my day man i'm, I'm happy to pass the baton on to somebody else you yeah, know yeah. I mean, if i get my couple of years out of this and if i can build up a community where people love what i do they like to kind of content that I've given them in terms of music and the, like the discography and you know, somebody else wants to take that baton and you know, I'm Crank happy on. to do that because you know, we all have our careers and I don't want to be that selfish guy when I'm in my 50s trying to push up at young guys just to keep myself in there, you know, and I don't want to be like that, you know, yeah. I want to be living in a lake house in Italy by them <laughs> <laughs> But I think, I think, think, I think going back to that, I think
1: you have a really strong point because I think what happens is the industry, we can all change in the industry, right? So we all, as, and I'm sure you have to a certain extent, where you get off show offers that you would never have thought you would get offers of, of that much money and it kind of changes your life. It, it's happened for the, the best of us, if you know what I mean. And then you get the older guys, and I think what happens is that I can't this is all I can imagine that's happened. I could be talking utter bullshit, but they start to do things for the wrong we We spoke about this loads, I guess, but they start to do things for the wrong reasons. And then yep. most of that is just because they're giving, they're being offered so much fucking money that they can't say no to it. And it's not that they need it. It's just that greed of money, like millionaires want to become billionaires and billionaires want to become trillionaires. It's just how it is and it's the same in this industry where like you get 5 million streams on a record next record you want to get 10 million streams and the next record after that you want to get it's just, it's not i it's just how life is i think i think it's when people have a drive but what i think changes in the music industry is that with success whatever success is we get given more luxuries in life and i think eventually it goes away from just being that kid in your in your basement trying or your bedroom trying to write fucking great records and it comes to a mm-hmm. point where you're not even the music is like the side of it and people forget yep. that that the reason why we got here was by re- writing great records and I, th- I think there's artists out there that have carried on writing great records throughout their whole career, and that 's why they 're so good. if you know what I mean that is why they 're fucking amazing but then there's those artists that there's those artists that have that did write those huge records but then just stopped writing records and were more interested in getting fucked up or flying private jets and things like that and, and that's when the music goes and they fall off the, the bandwagon and then they see somebody like yourself that's doing extremely successful and they're like, Oh, I remember what it was like back then, but I don't want to go and put the work in that I need to put in. I want to just go and ride off somebody else's. Yeah. It's kind
3: of no, it
2: makes man. I think um, you've summed up a lot of the guys in the industry that just have done it all before and you know, I guess the, the thing is, right, is that they've done it so many times before that it stopped being exciting to them. Yeah. I mean, totally. remember the first time you got your first record played playing radio one on Pete Tong show, you're buzzing. Yeah. And then yeah. by the hundredth time you're like, Oh, nice one. Yeah. Pete playing the track again. <laughs> although it's still oh, we love it, but it's still it's not the same as the very first time. Just like your first B top ten or totally. you know, your first ten headline in the gig. And for them, because they've been at it so long, it's really hard for them to like keep enjoying the same stuff. And that's why I admire like Guys like Adam Bear and yeah. Carl Cox, and guys that have been at it for so long and they still enjoy doing it. And they don't do it for, you know, like Carl Cox, I'm sure, is a multi millionaire. He doesn't need to do it anymore, but he still does it, you yeah. know, and he's just, he's a, such a cool guy. He's yeah, a lovable yeah. guy. Yeah. You know, he's a like kind of guy you'd be able to approach at a festival and he'll sit chat to you for 20 minutes, you totally. know, and that's the kind of people I think I love. And that, that's the guys that last so long, but they have to be there for the reasons of just loving music. It can't be in other ways. And I'm sure a lot of them, you know, they still fly private and stuff, but, <laughs> you know, it's a, that's not really, that's not the focus, that's not the reason they get up and they don't get up to get on a private jet to go to a gig, they go they get up to go to the gig and then the rest is just all part and parcel of, you know, how they live yeah, totally. But, you know, I think a good bit of that and it's, there's two different sides of it and, you know like I've seen some DJs, you know they are they live way beyond their means and they put up photos of them flying private every second weekend and, you know, they they just can't sustain it, you know, and they're doing it for the gram, as they say, the Instagram and uh, you know, and it's just not it doesn't last long on that does stuff has a very limited lifespan. And also I think I'm always, I always get a bit cringe about these private jet photos and stuff, but it doesn't really relate to the people that you're putting it off to you know it's like Dude, I'm so glad you said that. Mad.
3: I
1: fucking hate it. I fu- like last I last summer was the summer that I started unfollowing DJs for that one reason. And I, know, I unfollowed some friends that I respect yeah. highly but I don't. Yeah. F-
2: like, like, come on, dude. I mean, you know, you know, we get treated so well as it is, but you know, you, you need to like, you, you need to relate to people, and I think that's what I try and do as well. And that's why I'm I try like, keep in touch with the fans, do what they do. I'm not going to put up photos of me flying business class. I'm not going to like, you know, put up photos of me in a five star hotel and like say, "Look at me, look what I'm doing yeah. this weekend," and because I don't think people actually really like it. I think people are kind of like, "Oh, look at this guy fucking flashing his knob for no reason," you know.
1: I think it's also like who actually gives a fuck? Like, like, uh,
3: like who? Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, like, with DJs. I was having this conversation with a friend last night. It's like, there's there's two ways to look at things. It's like, obviously everything that's kind of going on politically and, and what we do as a living. It's like, at the end of the day, people listen to our music. People play to go and see us in a club. They don't, nothing else. They don't need to see how much money we earn and they don't need to see our flashy clothes they don't need to see what watch you just bought they don't need to see what private jet you're flying with at the end of the day the the industry our industry is about a fucking sweaty club and yep. I'm cool with like I'm cool with club photos and the odd yeah, like festival photo and the odd like sweaty club video it's cool like I get it We've all flexed in that situation When we've seen Like I posted a video yesterday Of me playing at a festival And it was bonkers But yeah. for me that's like It's all of my fans that are going bonkers It's not, yeah. it's not like yeah. I'm trying to Play a big dick competition About my private jet <laughs> But it's yeah. like I just, It just doesn't make sense to me However it must work I don't know. I, I, yeah. Does it work? Do people like it? I but at the end of the day, I, we're just it's fucking house DJs. Yeah,
2: dude, I think it's it's really hard. I think you it'd be really hard to connect if you're like flying private jets all the time and then going to like some sweaty nightclub in Leeds. You yeah. know how can you go from that to like Can't. flying business or flying on a private jet to all of a sudden playing to like eighteen-year-olds in a sweaty warehouse in Leeds that have saved all like, to go to see see play. They're and just it, not on the same level anymore. And once yeah. you're not on the same level as the people you play to, that's when things go downhill, I think, because you start kind of... I wouldn't. I don't I don't think they think that they're better than than the people they're playing to, but they're just not on the same vibe anymore. Yeah. You're not, like, you You start playing this weird shit that you think is good because you think your shit smells good. And then before you know it, you're playing this music that nobody writes anymore, and that's when you start, like, the downhill spiral. Down, yeah. And then by the time you realize that, you're backpedaling, like, fuck to try and, like, come back to where you're at, but it's too late by then, you know? And that's, I think... A lot of people's fallen to that, you know, fallen for that before.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's quite funny to watch, though. So. Yeah. I just, I, I also. Know, I
2: reckon, go on. I, I, I reckon if Carol Cox put up a photo of him sitting on an easyjet flight to Ibiza, <laughs> that would get way more likes than him sitting on a flight, <laughs> jet flight to Ibiza. I guarantee it, man, because I'd be like, who oh, is this guy fucking flying easyjet flight to Ibiza? i like with all with all the fucking ravers around him. That'd be so cool, man. You know that? Yeah. That's down there, there, man. You know when, you know, it's uh and it's happened in popular music too, man. I mean, like it's if you look at Ed Sheeran and um, you know um, Louis Capaldi and stuff yeah. like that, they're all they're all really big, not because they look good. Like they they look like normal blokes, but they're just so personable. Yeah. And they seem like, like the same, like obviously they have amazing music as well. But you know, the reason they're so popular is uh, and like social media side is that they're not putting up private jet photos. They're putting yeah. up just them, you know, going to a supermarket or you know just messing around or having a bit of crack, you know, and that's. That's why I think they're so personable and why people like them, you know. And that's sort of what things are shifting to. I think even the the pop game, it's becoming less about being, you know, over the top and wearing gold jewelry and stuff and more about being relatable. And the dynamics sort of shifting a little bit now and music as a whole, which is, to be honest, very welcomed.
1: I think it's healthier for people's mental health as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think also for, I feel sorry for kind of people that kind of start off in the industry and have. A lot of success very quickly I feel like sometimes they feel like that they have to live up to that life yeah. um especially when you're younger in anything really when somebody's young and successful it's kind of like game over you need yeah. you need you need your 20s to kind of fuck off and make mistakes and go through those those years and even like like I'm I'm 30 now how are you 29 28
2: 28 yeah,
1: yeah like even pushing on, man. yeah cracking on mate can you it was it was literally like 15 no like 12 years ago we were in ibiza yeah man
2: seems like a lifetime right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago really long time ago and you
2: grind, like you're were, you're were a real grinder then as well i mean like you um i remember when i spoke to you, you were saying like that summer you're in ibiza you'd like sometimes be having to play like 10 hours a day these sets yeah and stuff and you like you you grinded man like there's nobody more than yourself that grind it out and read your crowd and played long long hours and I think a lot of the guys these days well not a lot of them some of them they have a big record but they never played clubs before and they've not experienced like all the bullshit of like having to play to hand parties or playing to like your drunken uncle that doesn't like dance music able to grind (laughs) you a little bit because, you know, we appreciate these gigs now because we're like, oh, nice when we actually get to play a gig where, you know, people actually like what we play. Yeah. We're so used to, like, playing these people that were giving us dirty looks every time we try to drop a track to the <laughs> You know, that's... <but> it's... <laughs> and now it's, we appreciate the fact that we can actually go on the club. Even if there's only 20 people there or 2,000 people, Yeah. you know, we still appreciate it because we're getting to do what we love and we're not getting judged by it. We're not getting asked to play Katy Perry or anything, you know? And I think that's, you know, in no, itself, is I- worth doing.
1: I agree. I think, um, I think it's kind of like a theme of this podcast that's kind of come up over the last, like, however many episodes I've done is like, and this is our fault to blame. I think to a certain extent, and it goes back to being relatable on, on social media and just generally as people, but I don't think we show the grind. Um, I don't think people necessarily see the grind of leading up to what, is our whatever i don't like the word success but i don't know what to use instead but it's like yeah. people don't realize like how long you've been doing it for um yeah. people don't realize how long adam bayer was doing it for because at that snapshot of time that's when they found him and or found us and that's how they only think yeah. we've been around for fucking 24 hours um yep. But it's tough. It's I don't know how. I don't know how how you can kind of get that across because I think going back to that private jet thing, I think that takes the grind away from everything, Um, because it's not real. Like I think what happens is you then get people in the industry doing the industry for the wrong reason and trying to trying to become a DJ and trying to become a producer and trying to whatever in any industry for that reason, because they want to have loads of money and things like that. And we all, we all know that it's fucking hard to get loads of money in this industry and you've got to be fucking good and you got to work for years.
2: Yeah. Even if you're turned full time and it appears like you're, you're making a lot of money. A lot of the guys aren't, I mean, yeah, a lot of the industry is like a lot of the money industry industries pushed towards a very select few, yeah. While the rest of us are kind of like, oh, well, well, I'm not saying we're not getting well paid, but we're not getting like the fifty thousand euro gigs every time we yeah. leave the house. That just, that's made up, man. That doesn't happen, you know, and that's it, not how we do things. Um, or at least me, you anyway. But uh, no, I think you're right.
1: I think you're right. It's it doesn't. It, uh, it's it's we, yes, you're right. When we start to get paid, we get paid reasonably well. If you know what I mean. But then again, I guess if you put back yep. all the years that you didn't get paid for making music and all the years that you didn't like, oh, that you yeah. did free shows and had to like work a job on top of that, and it kind of levels itself out, if you know what I mean, um, yep, to a certain exactly. extent. And then there's there's like, I, I always say there's like three levels in this industry. There's like the A-games, the like triple A artists that are your headliners, that kind of always generally always going to be there you get somebody that comes up and floats around because they have a hit record so i'm going to sneeze yep. <laughs> and um, then you have like the thanks man you have like the the like middle tier artists which is where i would put myself um and then you have the kind of tier below us which are like the new the new guys and girls that kind of they have the most momentum. At the end of the day, they they could could get to the the medium tier very quickly if they play their cards right. But until you get to the like the where you're crossing the middle tier to the top tier, there's it, it's still you're still not earning crazy money. No. Um, you're earning great. You're earning, You can be earning good money, but you're not like. You still have a mortgage, if you know what I mean. You still you're still paying your bills like everybody else, yeah. because people don't realize the expenses that happen when yeah. you're in the industry. Like how much money you have to fork out before you get paid. Um, it's interesting. It's really interesting because you don't. None of this you get taught about. You don't get. No one tells you this at the beginning of your no. career. Even I. I don't know. Like even when you started rebuking, kind of got successful. Wh- like what were the things that. Like, was there anything like that in the finances situation where you're like, Fuck, I didn't know I had to pay this up front or like oh damn, I'm getting like five grand for this show or whatever, but then realize that you actually walk out with a grand, which don't get me wrong, a thousand quid for a show is great. But when you, yeah. when you get paid like five grand and you walk out with a grand, it's like, Oh shit, what happened with everything? <laughs>
2: all of a sudden yeah, all of a sudden it's not as good as it was when you looked at the email the first time. Yeah. But uh yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, I try and keep the people on my team to be like people that are really invaluable. Where I can go, if I told them that we're parting ways tomorrow, I would I would leave like a massive dent in my career. Yeah. So I try to like trim the fat as much as I can, so the people that are in my in my career, like we 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 swapped things up a few, a few months ago just to kind of keep it fresh. But you know, the people that I that I work with um, and essentially kind of work through me through percentages, or whatever, they're all really really good at what they do. But you know. Um, you see like an offer coming and you're like well 20% of this has to go there and then 10% of that has to go there and then if you're playing in America you have to give the American government 30% withholding tax and then you're kind of and then by the way you have to book your own flights first and then you'll get paid afterwards and before you know it you're like what the fuck so when you know your your brain explodes basically Um, so stuff like that is quite stuff I honestly never thought about doing and then don't even talk to me about tax returns man. cuz I think I that's just like it's like one of them things where the government—they know, like when you become a successful artist, the first year that's their day, that, that that's their time to shaft you because you know the second year you you're not—they're not, not going to get you the same way because yeah. you've learned your lesson. <laughs> but the first year man, you, you better you better believe you're going to get hit bad, you know. <laughs> you're
1: getting bent over and served a new one. Actually,
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll not i make that mistake again. But um, but yeah, that's all you know, part and parcel of learning, man. I mean, you know, it's good problems to have. I'd be, I'd be lying if I didn't say that you know this is great because. Could be that worse here man i could be sitting here in the same place as it was the past 10 years and making music that hopefully some dj might play or whatever yeah. so um i'm still very very you know appreciate it i know i talk about it a lot but it's more of a joking fashion that i don't take it seriously at all really because it's you know for me and, and for you as well and money is secondary you know we do this because we love to do it so yeah. the rest of the stuff is really just business but that's what they call the music business man and i mean you have to you have to kind of Put your business head on sometimes as well totally. so the party has to stop at some stage and you need to look at things in like a business manner to make a career out of it like um i don't know if have you ever heard of this dj called fergie yeah i remember fergie um
1: in yeah, vegas the, now isn't he so, the,
2: yeah yeah yeah. so he was sort of one of my very very first mentors when i was yeah. 13 um he's from ireland as well and uh you know i was talking to him the other day and he, he showed me like this documentary thing or an interview thing he did and the interview kind of goes back to his days whenever he was on radio one playing hard house um, every weekend. And he ended up at the end of radio one, he was so popular and he he was doing so many gigs, but he still went bankrupt. Uh, I was kind of like, how how could that happen? You know, he's making so much money and he's on radio one and he's playing three times a week, headline and festivals. And what he was doing was just not taking care of his finances. And his manager back then was effectively screwing him over. And he got a, letter from the HMRC one day saying, hey, you owe so much money and it just bankrupt them, you know, and that stuff can still happen today. I'm not saying there's as many you know, dodgy managers out there anymore, but if you're not actively looking after the incoming and outcoming, before you know it, you're kind of, you're like, shit, you know, I should have looked at this six months ago, and it's all very boring, but the stuff that you know, if you want to plan 10 years ahead and you want to buy that nice house somewhere in London or whatever, you need to be thinking now rather than in five years time when you're like, shit, I should have done that back then. I've heard so many stories of different producers and DJs that had a great career, and now they're left with nothing. And the yeah. reason they're left with nothing is because they spent those years doing nothing. They didn't really like take care of what they were doing. They didn't look after themselves. They weren't really giving a shit because they thought the screw it him would never end. Yeah. And then it did, and they're back to square one. You know, and it's it must be hard, man. Like it must be a really hard transition from going to being this like DJ's turn worldwide to all of a sudden your career kind of dwindles and you have to go get a day job or something like that, and you're kind of on. Ten pound an hour, and you're used to being flown all over the place, getting thousands of pounds a gig, yeah. and then all of a sudden you're going back to square one again. It must be pretty, pretty. You know, it must be pretty hard. I think.
1: I think. Like, um, I don't know about you. But yeah. yeah, no, I totally agree, and I, that's something that I can't remember who said it to me, um, but they were like, "Don't be a house DJ that doesn't buy their own house," and yeah. it kind of like, it kind of like stuck with me. Um, because it's so true. There's so many people that just that hood rich kind of lifestyle is that you think that it's never going to end. And realistically, can you afford that pair of trainers that's a thousand pounds? Like, do you really, do you really need that pair of trainers? If you know what I mean? And don't get me wrong. Like I get it if you know what I mean like especially if you're around a lot of other successful people that are all spending a shitload of money you kind of sometimes can feel like you have to I get that but I think it's about being true to yourself and working out okay do I really need this like yeah. can this wait for a rainy day and I think now is like a perfect time right like rainy days uh we're in the rainy day Um, and I totally agree with what you're saying It's you have to look at the bigger picture and that this isn't going to last forever. And do we want it to last forever? That's the question. Do you, do you really, when you're 60 years old, do you really want to be having to play in front of your grandkids? Let's be honest. Yeah, I don't
2: know like nobody wants to be that old dude man nobody wants to be that old guy at a festival be like who the, who the fuck this guy again he was big like back in the 90s and nobody knows who he is anymore and you know it's although and... I respect those guys but you know do they, they kind of seem a bit out of place to like 19 year olds from Manchester that are listening to you know whatever and so, there's um, only no, like that's
1: there's only like five or six people that can actually do it still You know what I mean? and Yeah, and the likelihood of that happening for anyone is so unlikely. So I think it's just about being real with yourself, isn't it? And real with where you're at in your life and where you're at in your career. Like, we're lucky enough, like, you're younger than me, but we're still young at the end of the day. Like, we're 30 years old. We can, let's say we live till we're, like, 85. Like, we have a fucking long life ahead of us. We have a lot of opportunities to do a lot of things. And whatever those things are can be whatever, but right now you have to look after now and hope hope that in the future you whatever you've done now is kind of gonna progress into the future.
2: Definitely man.
1: Oh, I agree. We've just done an hour and a half. I think that's a good time to end. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we can go on all day not around, man. I know right. <laughs> I
1: know. <laughs> um, so before we finish, first of all, huge congrats man. It's great to see your success it's uh it's much well deserved so big ups man and good keep it up you, um how can anyone follow you and listen to your music what's the best way
2: um basically everything's just under the handle rebuke music so give me a shout there um I've, as i have said earlier in the conversation i've set up like a facebook group um it's a, a community-based thing uh, called Rebukes Rave Club and um, there's like over a thousand members there already in a week and that's where I've spent a lot of time hanging out these days people are sending their music I'm getting back to them and they're just putting up photos of gigs and videos and stuff and I'm replying all the time and if you want to catch me anywhere, that's probably at the moment the best place to get me but you know just just set me up wherever man I'm, I'm always pretty active and stuff but yeah sweet
1: nice one dude keep safe Um and I'm sure I'll see you pretty soon hopefully in a club maybe next year keeps in so, touch so, look after stuff mate big love so that is a wrap big love to rebuke for uh getting on the show hope everyone enjoyed it as much as i did if you did enjoy it send a review over um and also let me know in the dms if you want me to uh get anybody else on the show would love to hear your thoughts have a great one keep safe and i'll see you same time